Africa abroad. What's going on, world? It's your man Cordo Tar back again with another episode of Africa Abroad, powered by Susu, of course. And today we have a very, very special guest. If you've been paying attention to U.S. youth soccer over the past seven to eight years, you should know him or at least his foundation. His organization has serviced hundreds of kids in the Atlanta area, providing them elite soccer training, transportation to and from practice, meals to eat, clothes to wear, character development, you name it, they've got it going on. No matter their background, rich or poor, he has created opportunities for kids to grow as soccer players, but more importantly, as individuals. And the club is doing just that, excelling, winning tournaments, winning multiple state cups, and even winning national championships, and placing a wide variety of players in college soccer programs or on professional clubs, and they're just getting started. The man, the myth, the legend I have with me today, Mr. Bruno Kalanji, Executive Director at Kalanji Soccer Academy. How are you doing today, Bruno? I'm well, I'm well, I'm well, and thank you very much. I really appreciate your time to give us this opportunity. So for this one, we've been chatting a little bit before before the show started, but I'm a I'm going to start with your about your personal background, and then we're going to talk about Kalanji Soccer Academy, and then we'll just talk about some other stuff after that. So um, my first question, actually, before I jump into the questions, I want to let you know, because you, you've just been so open in this whole situation. Like, I, I want to tell y'all, I just randomly DM'd him on Instagram. was like, yo, I love what Kalanji Soccer Academy is doing. Can I interview you? And he's been like yeah whenever you know come by we're, we're at his place right now and doing this but do you know like where i came from or anything about <laughs> me or anything like that hey you know what man i have no idea <laughs> but i can tell you one thing man i believe that god has a purpose for what we're doing and when people like yourself reach out to me uh, to get our messages out i think it's very important so i take it very serious and i took it very serious when someone wants to know our stories and what we're doing and I think it was very important. So that's why I replied you right away. And I say, hey, you're welcome here because I know that you're willing uh, and you're investigating and you're willing to share our story. Nice, it's nice. Important. I like that that's where that energy came from. So I graduated from Shiloh High School in 2007. Mm -hmm. My wife is Christina Parkins, who apparently, I guess you coached her. <laughs> absolutely, <Okay>. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've been we've been talking about you for a while, and even even uh, Saja, I'm cool with Saja. Okay. She was like, oh, you know, you should see what Bruno's got going on. He's doing this, he's doing that, because she knew what I was trying to do with my, you know, football brand and involving, involving African youth, and she felt like this would be a really good connection. So that's that's how this came <laughs> about. I was, I was timid, <laughs> but I finally pulled the trigger and was like, man, let me hit up Bruno and see what's going on. <laughs> All right, so the question I like to start off with is, where were you born? I was born in uh, Zaire, Kinshasa. So it's well known now as a Democra Democratic Republic of Congo. You know, so there's two Congo. There's Congo Brazzaville, and there's uh, what we call Zaire is now called Democratic Republic of Congo. So essentially, there's two Congo. But I was born in Kinshasa, okay. capital. So and how, how long did you live there? I lived there for about... Uh, 12 years okay. and I uh, moved to the United States. So I moved, I, I lived there through all the, what they call piage. So the uh, break-ins with the police officer in Zaire. I lived through the Rwanda 
and the massacre and all that stuff. So I lived through a very rough time in Zaire in yeah. Kinshasa. So, you know, um, but again, you know, so I came here at 12. We migrated here by ourselves, you know, my sister and I. My parents sent us here to our uncle uh, who was in the military and he was also escaped from the uh, all the killing there while they were how they were mistreating the the officers he, he, he stayed here so we came here and uh, that was the beginning wow so 12 years in 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 zaire in congo that was that's kind of the formative years of your life that kind of you know it, it sticks with who you are as a person so what was what was growing up like at, at that time for you like how how was it being a kid in, in, in the Congo at the time? And I can tell you absolutely, man, and it was very different than what I see here. It was definitely all the build up was there in Zaire. So, you know, about being being uh, basically free as a kid uh, to learn and to grow through different challenges that I can't even tell you. Yeah. Uh, so we had the freedom as children to go whatever we want to do, whatever we want to no perimeters, discover things on your way, learn what's dangerous and what's not. And uh, I've been, I, w- I was a street ki- kid. Yeah. I was on the street eating all the food from the street, uh, getting malaria and uh, uh, typhoid fever and all kind of things. So I was there on the street basically living it. But uh, again, through all the struggles and all the learnings, I, I think I've, uh, you know, I've learned a lot. I think what, that's what my kids these days are missing. Yeah. You know, it's that freedom that we had on the street, basically yeah. to grow up on the street. And uh, that's that's how I was raised. And of course, our education system was different, you know. So we went early in school. We got our early from seven to about twelve o'clock, uh, and that was it for school. But our our education system was very tough. And I went to a Catholic school, which made it even tougher. They used to whoop our butt. Yeah. At school, so you know, you learn the discipline and the structure through that environment. And uh, you know, so when we came here in the U.S., it was a culture shock. It yeah. Was different, different. So. At what point did uh, soccer enter your life? Well, you know what? When I was in, in Zaire, I played soccer on the street, you know, so there's nothing that was, you know, very organized, an organized team. We just played on the street. You know, we juggled. We did juggling competition. We did uh, all kind of things there. So it was uh, it was different. Yeah. It was different. It was not like here. It was not structured and organized. We played tournament, but it was street tournament. You're selected if you're the best. <laughs> of course, I wasn't one of the best because... You know, other people were selected. So I worked, I juggled, I trained, I practiced. But I wasn't really passionate because soccer is what we did every day. I was more passionate about basketball oh, really? in Zaire than I was passionate about uh, uh, soccer. So, hey, soccer. Who, uh, was, who was the, uh, the idol in, in Zaire at the time to, you, for you to look up to you in know basketball? What, man? I, wasn't really, I wasn't really into basketball like that on TV per yeah. se, but it was but a sport that was it. different. And it wasn't, it wasn't something that everybody was doing. You know, kids wants to do something that everybody's not doing. I guess it was special, right? It's, some, yeah. it's a special sport because soccer, everybody was doing soccer. Yeah. So it wasn't so special to us. I guess I can relate to that like basketball here in the U.S. Yeah. See, basketball, everybody's playing basketball all yeah. the time. And, you know, so, and of course in the U.S. now soccer is growing. But yeah, I like basketball, you know, so but my father trying to buy me soccer ball. My father was a big time player in Africa. They call him a dingue. Uh, which was someone, someone that a, a fighter who was very good with his head. So my father, in ter- he was good with his head by scoring goals. Mm-hmm. You know, so every time he got up the defense uh, from the defense to the attack, it was a goal. So, and uh, you know, and he tried to, you know, enforce that feeling that he had. He tried to bring me to the stadium. I remember actually one time he brought me to a big stadium 
to watch a professional game. I got sick and I threw up. Yeah. And then he was like, oh man, this guy is not going to have anything to do with soccer. Yeah. But again, when I came here, things were different and the passion grew. Okay. So how, what was it? I mean, coming here at the age of 12, you, you can remember that. It's not like Absolutely. coming here Absolutely. at the age of two or anything like that. Absolutely. So what, what was that like, like before you came here and then, you know, right before you came here and then actually the process of getting here? How, what was that like for you? Well, you know what, man? It was very, very kind of, it was scary and it was exciting, but I knew that we were coming into some safe hands because we had an uncle here. Mm-hmm. But I knew also that the reason our, my parents were sending us here is because of the war that was about to start in Zaire and he didn't want us to get caught up in that. So I knew that when we're coming here, we weren't going to go back. We weren't going back. So I knew that it was a one-way street and I didn't know when I'm, I'm going to see my parents. So once they put us in the plane with my sister and we arrived here, we arrived here, it was, uh, it was that's it. You know, so that was it. Yeah. It was like, there's no return. So it was difficult because then when we got here, trying to communicate with parents was very difficult because you yeah. had to write a letter and it took uh, 30 days to reach them. And then for them also the same thing, to write us a letter, it took 30 days yeah. to reach us. So the phone communication, like the things that we have today, uh, it, it wasn't the same. Yeah. So it was very difficult. So hearing from your parents 30 days later or 60 days later because 30 days, 30 days, it was very difficult at the time. So we just wrote a letter, put in the envelope and send them and they tell us how they were. We know that the war uh, started Kabila, um, Kabila and the movement of Mobutu, getting rid of Mobutu at the time. So the war started. So my mom had to flee. Uh, to Romania and tried to flee my father from Romania to the U.S. So it was a process. But again, it was challenging coming here knowing that you're not returning to your family. You don't have your parents here supporting you. Yeah. And you had to start school in an environment where you didn't speak English and stuff. But again, we had a good foundation, a good base of education. But I think when we came to school, we adapted quickly. In fact, I started here uh, directly, if I, if I can recall very well, as a freshman because my academic standard was very high. Wow. I graduated from high school when I was 16, wow. in fact. So basically four years in high school. Then I graduated when I was 16. My 16 years birth was actually when I was at Morehouse College. So I turned 16 and I entered Morehouse College. Wow. Because I graduated when I was 15 from high school and I turned 16 in July 13, yeah. which I already graduated from high school in June. And then I went on and, and to Morehouse which is another form of education that, that was different in Morehouse. I got I to gotta give that a little round of applause right there just because a lot of times people think, oh, you're coming from Africa and the education system is a little backwards or whatever the case may be. And, and you came here as a 12-year-old and 12-year-old is like, what, seventh grade, maybe sixth grade, and you started – in high school and it's not, it wasn't like a mistake. Like, Oh, we put him in high school. Oh no, we made a mistake. We need to put him back. It's like, no, this is the path that I'm on now. So that's, that's cool. That's, that's great to hear. I, I, I love it when I hear stuff like that. One of my, um, one of my guys that I work with with Susu, uh, he has an Academy in Liberia, nation one Academy. And one of the kids that, uh, he just brought here last year, um, went to, Meadowbrook, Will, Willowbrook, some some boarding school in, in Boston or in the Massachusetts area. So this is supposed to be like one of the best schools in America. And he's coming from Liberia who, you know, uh, the education system leaves, you know, had, there's some opportunities to be had. Um, but he came and had made straight A's his yep. first semester of, like you said, being in a new place, trying to figure out how things go. But still the knowledge and the education is there. So that that shows that for you to have made it made it like this i'm like all right well we're in good footsteps then 
All right, so you get here at the age of 12. Did you come straight to Georgia? Yeah, we came straight to Georgia, yeah. So I grew up, most of my part here was uh, around, actually, the Stone Mountain area, first in Stone Mountain, right there in Stone Mountain, the apartment where my uncle lived, and we moved around Stone Mountain, Clarkston, uh, Tucker, so just around the Stone Mountain area and the Gucab and Gwinnett area. So that's where I grew up, basically, here. Okay, and you said it was difficult, you know, being the new kid from the, the, a di whole different country, and it's just a big culture shock for you. How how did you adjust, or did it Absolutely. take a long time it, to adjust? It, it was a culture shock because, the, you know, first of all, just a matter of respect and discipline that uh, kids did not have here was a shock because we didn't extend our hands to our teacher mm -hmm. until they extended their hands to us. So you couldn't shake your teacher hands unless they extended their hands. So it was always a bow down, hands inside. How you doing, sir? That's how it was. So when I came in America, I saw the kids saying, what's up to the teacher with high five, hands five, and whatever. Yeah. It was like a culture shock. So it was like, man, these kids really don't respect the teacher. But then to find out that everybody was doing it, so it became like a bit of a norm a thing that you see every day. So you start understanding that that's their culture, right? Which is very different from us. But it's very difficult for me to still extend my hands to shake a teacher hand, that's a formal, a form of disrespect yeah. in uh, in our in our culture, you know. So those things were uh, were very difficult, you know, to see and the to see that the kids stood up in the in the class and just spoke however they wanted to. At times, it was not how we we were raised. You know? yeah. So you were told when you needed to stand up and speak when you ask a question. So it's a bit more discipline that we had there, and uh, it was different, it yeah. was different, more open. Uh, what I liked about us was that the fact that. Uh, you know, we worked in groups, you know, something that you never saw in Africa work group project were not really uh, a part of what we did in Africa. It was more individual stuff. You have to study hard, memorize a lot of stuff. But here was more groups project where well accepted and they give you good grades for that, for working as a group in the project and stuff. In Africa, we work more individually. Yeah. So you had quiz and test and stuff that you had to study so hard for and give the answer. Here is a bit more freedom. So I can appreciate what they do in the U.S. as well. But I can tell you the culture and the way we study in Africa was very, very tough and disciplined. Yeah. So you had to learn a lot more things a lot quicker than we had to do here. In fact, uh, we had to learn everything about geography, about history of the entire world. And we had to know much more. You had to memorize a lot more. And math, we had to be very strong in math. In fact, also another thing in Africa, in Zaire, where I grew up in Kinshasa, they line, they line us up and then uh, they call the first of the class all the way till the last of the class. And if you're the last, they boo you. Right, so you'll think that you know, yeah, that's the way of demoralizing, a formal of abuse, as I learned in America. But I mean, at time is a character build. Absolutely, also, because you didn't want to be the you last of the class. The and then you know what, man? I remember one time I had a ninety-one, and I was the last. Wow. You know, so so everybody was ahead of me. I had a ninety-one, and I was the last. Yeah. So you know, I had to bust my butt so I can be somewhere in the middle there, or above the top. So you're always working for excellence. Wow. And I think our education system growing up. I mean, that's that you telling me that story. That's literally proof of why you could come here as a 12 year old and be in the ninth grade and, and excel because of, you know, not only the, the knowledge and the vast amount of education that you had, but also the accountability. Like we're going to line you up and boo you. There's no, oh, good job, participation Absolutely. trophy and pat Absolutely. you on the head. Like, no, it's like that. this is what we want you to do. And if you're not doing it, <laughs> that's that's not good enough. Yeah, and I was the, I was the best in math in my school. It, you know, it was uh, evident. You know, I helped a lot of kids. I didn't even speak English, but I can tell you, I became good at math, of course, because of the strong foundation of my mother at home teaching me math. But 
I can tell you for sure I got slapped uh, one time in school that woke me up about math. So the <laughs> teacher come and he'll ask question, and if you didn't answer it, you get a slap. Yeah. Right? And I got slapped one time really hard that I couldn't hear anymore from one here. My father was mad. He went to school trying to fight the teacher, but I got slapped, and that I could never forget that equation until uh, nowadays. You know, so how to basically divide a fraction? You know, yeah. when you have to reverse the second. Uh, by when you multiply by you reverse the second uh, fraction so I can never forget that because I got slapped for it yeah so I remember that so you know hey some way somehow it made us strong and better so. yeah so you're you're here when when did soccer get reintroduced into your life once you came to America so then I I wonder about sports you know I wonder about doing basketball so I went and I did basketball JV in Stone Mountain High School which was very difficult but I was very driven I say you know those tall guys and they all tall they all strong fast you know I had to do something so I was very good at shooting so I made the JV team in Stone Mountain High School which was amazing you know it was very tough for me everybody can dunk I can't yeah. I'm short you know but I knew how to shoot very well so I was driven I started practicing more then you know, basketball was over and the soccer season was coming in. And I was like, ah, let me try the soccer thing. This is the fun thing that we did in Africa. It's no big deal. So I went out there uh, just doing whatever I wanted with the ball, dribbling everybody and scoring goals. And then the coach was like, well, you're going to play JV. Uh, you're going to play JV. And then I say, okay. I didn't know the meaning of JV versus, versus varsity. So I went out there in the JV, I started practicing. And actually, in fact, the first day I came in with boots, like boots, like, you know, boots, yeah, like, regular like boots, because I didn't have, boots. I didn't have cleats. So the yeah. coach was like, "Hey, we can't wear this." I was like, uh, "I don't have, I don't have anything else." He's like, "Well, you need to get cleats, and where can I find them?" You know, so I probably went to Walmart somewhere and just got me some regular cleats from Walmart, uh, and then I start practicing. But uh, yeah, I went up scoring a lot of goals in the games. I would score maybe eight, five, eight goals at times, wow. and then I would just dribble everybody and just left and right and just doing whatever. Yeah. eventually they end up moving me to the varsity and uh you know and then of course varsity was a little tougher but i learned some some discipline you know that you know hey the game could be serious you could have some discipline and i see that people are excited about the game when you did something good and i think at that point i started deciding that you know what man i'm going to play soccer okay i'm going to play soccer you know so you're you're this is freshman year of high school still yeah, freshman year high freshman school. year high school you're 12 years old Playing JV soccer, scoring five and eight goals. So that leads me to my next question. Did you notice a difference in the talent between Zaire and being here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a massive. I mean, kids played on the street. They never play organized, not jersey and that thing, and a lot of talented players. A lot, like I say, I can tell you right now, I was by far, you know, out, out of the scale of, of what we had there yeah. on the street because there's people that are completely dominant magician, yeah. kids that were magician with the ball. They could do hide the ball and do whatever they want. Yeah. And the condition was no near merely uh, as good as uh, what I saw here on the grass pitch and stuff like that. So, again, you know, for me, I felt like <laughs> like here is like, you, like you're in a professional environment. Like in Africa, yeah. it's just a street thing, you know. Yeah. So when I saw how well organized soccer could be, and I was like, you know what, man? This is interesting, you know? It's like there's fans, people come, and, you know? And uh, it was different. But, yeah, the talent level is completely different. I mean, Africa has just such a dominant yeah. uh, pool of talented players. That's that's a very that's a very common story that I've heard of people, like, you know, they're, they're in their home country, and 
whatever, everybody's playing soccer. I'm, I don't really care because I'm not the best in the community or in the area. And then they come here and they still have that same mentality and they get out on the field and they realize they're like five or ten times better than everyone else. And then they're like, oh, okay, let me take this seriously yes. now. Yes. That's that I, I, I'm still baffled by the level of talent that, that's that's on that continent. But yeah, we're so we going to work to get that. And I took it serious. And then you know what, man? One of the highlights of my life in uh, soccer as a youth in, in JV, I met a coach that was very good. And he told me, hey, look, if you work hard, you know, you have possibility to do bigger things, scholarship. And I didn't understand the meaning of all that stuff at the time. I just wanted to kick the ball around. I didn't understand what scholarships mean. And, and, and you know, he tried to explain me all the stuff. And the guy, uh, the coach that I had, um, at the time, he, uh, he ended up uh, having cancer, mm-hmm. okay? And it was uh, armpit cancer, and then he ended up dying so quickly like that. Like during the season, literally he had cancer, and before you know it, he missed two weeks of uh, training, three weeks, four weeks, and before you know it, he was dead. So it was like, it was a shocking point in my life that someone could go so fast, so quick. And, uh, but also, the words that he left me behind is like, look, you can do something bigger in soccer, and you know, you got to... You know, like if you really apply and this and he was telling me like he was trying to build me up with the little English that I understood. Yeah, I kind of understood something, you know, that, you know, and it kind of drove me even more to want to stick to soccer and do something in soccer. That's um, that's great to hear that you had someone in your life like that to realize the potential in you and tell you to do more and push you to to be more. And that's interesting because I see that that's kind of the role that you're in now. And it's like you understood how important that role was to you. And now you're trying to do it to a whole new generation and on a much bigger scale. But we're, we're definitely going to get to that. But I just wanted to, to point that out because that seems to be a recurring topic on, on this show is where people talk about mentors and how important, uh, you know, having a mentor is. And like, I wish... I had a mentor and I probably did have a mentor, but I, maybe I wish I listened to them <laughs> how I should have. Cause that's another part of it. You have to receive it. Well, so it seemed like you had it and you received it, Absolutely. which allowed you to go to the next level. So what, what you're playing through high school, what, what happens next? So, yeah, I played through high school and again, you know, I, I want to get back a little bit. The challenges that we had, we end up, uh, you know, my uncle had a few issues and then we end up, uh, you know, finding ourselves, mom comes in uh, from, from Romania here to actually take care of us. And then she ended up putting us in an apartment where we are, you know, by ourselves now. Mm-hmm. Right? So just my sister and I, because she had to leave again. But one thing that happened particularly that I think marked my life a lot in terms of football is that uh, at one moment we found ourselves, my mom and I and my sister by ourselves. Mm-hmm. So right there in Clarkston, right? I remember right, right there, right near the stadium, of a memorial stadium, right? So right closer to those hotels, we find ourselves in that hotel by ourselves with no help, with nobody. So mom asked a question. She said, I came here so I can help you guys out so that we can figure it out. We need to go back to Belgium because that's where we have more family. That's where we have, um, I have my bank account and we can control more things and, and, and I can help you. I can't leave you guys here by yourself. So that question arise that night and we discuss, we say, well, mom, if that's the best, Perhaps maybe that's what we should do. But let's think about it. Let's sleep overnight and let's see what happened. So we sleep that night. And then I remember it was during the Olympic time in the U.S. We were actually going to go to the Olympic and then the things happened, the you know, bombing happened and all that mm-hmm. stuff happened. But we stayed in that hotel and uh, I had a dream. So I had a dream that I was, I was 
in the award ceremony with my mom, my sister, exactly in the setting that we were, and I was going to receive my trophy. And as I was going to receive my trophy, and I grabbed it, and it fell on the ground, and it broke. Mm-hmm. And it was so vivid. So I woke up, and I told mom, I said, Mom, my trophy broke, and this is my dream. And uh, she was like, we're not going. Mm. She was like, we're not going anywhere anymore. We're staying here. Right there. And then wow. she said, because there's something there okay. that I can't ignore. So based on that dream and that decision, she decided that we stay here. She knew the significance of your absolutely, dream. Absolutely. And but she, did you understand the significance you know of your what, dream? You know what, man? I understood because I stopped building the passion for the game, but I didn't know. Right. I didn't today. I know yeah. the significance of that dream because then I can bring you back to the story of why I'm servicing the exact community, why I came back from professional and I tore my ACL and I coach at GPC. So everything drew me back to that place. Right. Wow. So it's, 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 you know, but that happened way back then. So you don't think that, you know, I, I didn't think of it then, but now I think back yeah. to what it meant. Right. So yeah, she said, we're not going. So she knew the difficulties of not going to yeah. Belgium. She yeah. knew that she had to leave us here by herself and go get my father uh, back in Zaire in the struggle that she was. She knew that she has to find us. So the next day we go and we find an apartment. And it was amazing because apartment will let you get in easily like that. If you didn't have a credit and anything, she pay a couple of months ahead. We're allowed to stay in the apartment. She found us a few furniture. Here I'm gone. So yeah. now you have a 13 year old and my sister was uh, two years uh, she was two years older than me. She's mm-hmm. two, year, two years old, older than me. She was there. So we're there by ourselves. Going to school without with people not knowing that we didn't have any family, any wow. parents. So just on ourselves. So we knew that we have to walk to the uh, the the school, or we had to take the bus. So we knew everything. We had to do everything on our own. So she knew that was a challenge, but yes, she took the faith based on that dream to to guide us and to allow us to stay here. Man, <laughs> I'm I'm <laughs> wow. That's a that's a remarkable moment right there, and even just like. Your, your story is amazing, but even like for you, for you to be a young person, and we, talk, we talked earlier about, you know, the difference between growing up in Zaire and growing up here and the difference between what the kids have and what the kids experience. It's like it, your 12 years in Zaire prepared you for life because like you came here and now you're here with your sister and with no, you know, adult figure around to tell you when to wake up and when to do this and when to do that. And you m- didn't miss a beat. Because some kids are, are, are in that situation because, you know, maybe their parents are, you know, going through something and then they're, they're missing school and they're, they get caught up with the bad crowd and this and that. And, and you had such a good foundation through not only the people in your life, but the environment that you were in to keep you like, all right, well, I'm, I'm focused. I'm, I, I can govern myself now at a young age, which is like. That's that's absolutely and, and went on to graduate from high school and college. But uh, you know what? I can remember one thing that happened in Africa that my father at one point I didn't want to go to school. So I told I, I basically my mother at some point she was a director of a school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I kind of manipulated the kids to tell them that, uh, you know what, there's no school. Uh, the next day because my mom told me. So a lot of the students <laughs> didn't show up. The teacher was mad. They contacted my mom and my father coming home, I knew he was going to be mad. I yeah. knew I was going to get some whooping yeah. for what I did. But I was surprised he didn't. He left me alone. He asked me, hey, what's up? How are you? I was like, good. Oh, surprise. I was like, wow. <laughs> what's going on? So we went the day, went by. Nothing happened to me. I was very excited. And the next day, my father woke up like always, got my sister, and they went to school, and he left me. 
So I was like, oh, great, man. I'm going to school and my father doesn't care. So I was happy. Well, it lasted one day, two days. And he's talking to me like normal, like nothing happened. And then it hits me that, you know what, man, what, what's going on? You know, yeah. then when I asked him, he told me, you know what he said? He said, let me tell you something, Bruno. One day I'm not going to be here. And you know what, man? If you think for one second that you go to school for me, you can forget it. Mm. You're going to be like those people on the street doing whatever you want to do. But you know what, man? You don't go to school for me. You go to school for yourself. And you have to understand that today. So if you choose to stay home and I go, it's your problem. That's I'm not going to force yeah. you to. But you have to remember, you do it for yourself. <laughs> the next day, time, I was up. Yeah. <laughs> I was up in the morning wow. going to school myself. So yeah. forget about how, it. From that how moment. How old were you when that, from when that, that happened? That happened. I was maybe uh, 10 year old, you know? Wow. So yeah, I, I knew from then when I came here, it was not a question. I wasn't going to school for my dad. I was That's going to school great, for myself. That's a it great lesson to learn as a 10-year-old. wasn't for my dad. I don't think I learned that lesson until I was 20-something. Yeah. Then I was like, this isn't about, it like, you're not doing this for it me. You're doing, you got to do this for yourself. Absolutely, man. It was for wow. myself. So, and then, so it was easy when I came here. We knew, I knew that I have objective to accomplish. If I did school, it wasn't for that. It was for my own benefit and for myself. And when I went to school, I took it serious. It wasn't just a joke because I wanted to learn. Yeah. So, you know, so this is what it was. Wow. All right, let me, uh, let me, this camera, I had a reset where I didn't just hit record and it's fine. All right. like a yeah, conversation absolutely. conversation yeah. going okay so you're at stone mountain high school you're um you're excelling are you you're a star are you receiving accolades well, in the yeah. county and stuff it like starts that, it starts i start receiving accolades in the county and you know my academics is going very well i got into wrestling which was i think one of the toughest sport that i've done as well and then i learned my lesson in wrestling as well uh, and which i will talk about uh, a bit later but uh yeah so i i start getting there and then I start getting to the years where, you know, you're about to graduate. I start doing very well in soccer. The newsletters are coming up and, and you know, a few scholarships, a few calls here, which I didn't understand. And then at the last minute, you know, people are worrying about it. I see that people are worrying about getting scholarships and that they're so concerned about it. I really never knew what was the path and what I'm going to do. College, I thought I'm going to go to college. I just didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, finally, at the last minute, I get a phone call from Morehouse College and the coach is telling me, look, I'm going to give you a full ride. We got to keep you here. Also at Savannah, I had, I had other schools that came after me, but of course I wasn't really responding to them because I didn't know, uh, you know, nobody was there to guide me, to tell me like, hey, you have to reply. You have to talk to the college coaches. Yeah. I just kind of looked at the letters and, and the emails that were coming in. I was like, it's, it's like I just ignored them. And then finally a coach called me from Morehouse, Kone, Coach Kone. He said, I look, man, hey, you know, I want you to come here on a full ride if you will commit. I was like, okay, full ride. Morehouse College is closer to home. Yeah. It's in Atlanta here. They're going to put me in the apartment and uh, they're going to pay for my food, my meals and everything. I was like, why not? I signed. So yeah. I just say, okay. And then uh, I signed at Morehouse. So then, you know, I graduated, I believe, 1998. And then, uh, like I said, I turned 16 in, in that July. And then I was at Morehouse College on campus in July. And then I started my uh, my college career at Morehouse College, which, you know, again, you know the value of Morehouse. Yeah. You know the strong value of that school, which I don't know why I ended up at Morehouse, but it was for a great it reason. For a reason. Because it taught sure. me a lot more 
than I ever knew at Morehouse. You know? yeah. So I learned, you know, what it means to be a black man in America. Yeah. I learned it in Morehouse, you know. And then in Morehouse, of course, Morehouse has a struggle. Remember, West End is right there. I was passing by a drive-by shooting and people shooting left and right. People think it's it's not a reality. It is a reality because I lived at Morehouse. Yeah. So when you live at Morehouse, you hear gunshot, you hear people uh, shooting and you hear this and that. We're walking to West End at night where we're getting attacked at times. But it was great value. Another wow. another great chapter of my life that I learned a lot at Morehouse. I ended up staying at Morehouse for two years, then going to Piedmont College uh, for two more years, graduated at Piedmont College. At uh, 19, I graduated at Piedmont College. Then I was off to what am I going to do? Stay a semester off, then went to Romania, start trying out professionally. I uh, made some low-level second division team. And, uh, you know, then on. Then I came back in the U.S., uh, tore my ACL, ended up staying, and I got into coaching. Okay. You know? And how did you, so what made you want to get into coaching after you, so you, uh, hold on, let me, yeah. let me recap real yeah. quick. So you, you know, you went to, you went to Morehouse, you played, you played at Morehouse. Played at Morehouse for two years and then the program disbanded kind of, you know, the, the, the program disbanded, they got suspended with uh, the NAIA, uh, the, the NCAA requirement or something like that. So mm -hmm. I was like, you know, it's time for me to move on. I went to Piedmont College, which I knew the coach that I played for in the youth here, uh, Jason Smith. And he's like, Bruno, you can come at Piedmont. So I went to Piedmont College and yeah. I played there for two years. I actually benefited from it because I played one extra year at Piedmont. So I played two years at Morales and three years at Piedmont. Usually, it's not usual. You play usually four years, but I benefited yeah. from one extra year because of the things that was going on at Morehouse, uh, which one year didn't count. So I played three years at Piedmont. And then, uh, you know, of course, at Piedmont, you know, our coach was became one of the best coach because of the number of games that we won. I think I participated in winning a lot of games there, yeah. scored a lot of goals, played a defensive job and an attacking job. So I was a striker who could play defense because I don't like people beating us so easily. Yeah. So I'll track them down. And my coach ended up converting me into a, a more of a defensive midfield role. So I, I did it all, you know. So I think I played with pride. I was never a captain, but I was a leader. Players listened to me. I mean, the player that played with me, uh, they knew my presence on the field. Yeah. You know, I didn't really care about uh, the captain, Ben. It was all about the heart and, you know, mm. the commitment. So I, I did it all at Piedmont. So then graduated from Piedmont. I had an offer to go to England okay. uh, in the third division. I was like, ah, oh, I'm not playing third division. That was my thought process back then, even though England was uh, pretty big at the time. You know, yeah. I, I just didn't realize it. But uh, I went to, to Romania because I felt comfortable. That's my mom's country yeah. birth. So I felt that I would adapt there much easier yeah so okay so you went to romania, romania yeah. because there was an easy transition easy because transition. you've got family there family and there, there. My, mom's, there. my mom's sisters and there's roots and you know the language i kind of understood vaguely but i understood so of course i went to romania i had to adapt i learned the language which i speak very well romanian as well and then but romania soccer was tough at the time when i was yeah. trying out it was very, very tough. I mean, players were great. Players were committed. It was different. It was everybody. The commitment in football was different than it is now. And that was the you first know? division in Romania. The first division in Romania, a tryout. It was very hard for me. And then I, I played in the second division in Romania in uh, Dinamo, uh, second team. And I was in Intergaz. So there was a lot of challenges mm -hmm. in Romania. It was very tough. Like I say, it was not It was not like currently right now. Yeah. You know, so soccer is a bit more open than it used to be back then. It was very tough. So... I played a little bit, then I came back on visit here at home and I tore my ACL okay. uh, when I was here playing for, actually it was a game, uh, Georgia State versus uh, uh, the so-called uh, Georgia Select team. Mm -hmm. I went to play one night and, and tore my ACL. And then I was like, you know what, man, then I will start doing something until I get back to, to playing. And yeah. doing something was basically, you know, I always had a passion for, you know, coaching and helping kids. 
you know, even though I was young back then when I was in college at, P- at Piedmont, I was already coaching younger kids at GFC, at the clubs, yeah. just coming back and helping and coaching. But uh, then I was like, you know what, man, maybe I'm going to do some coaching. And of course, one of the girls that I played with at Piedmont College, um, you know, she she was the head coach at uh, Georgia Perimeter College on the okay. women's side. And that's how I got connected with her. And then uh, she gave me a job as an assistant coach to help her out there at Piedmont. And that's how I worked with her for two years. Then I became the head coach for another 10 years. Oh, wow. So I didn't know that I'm going to stay into soccer. But once I start coaching and, you know, responsibility came, my wife came, got married, got my first child. And so everything just changed. Yeah. You know, it became more of a responsibility uh, that I had than the soccer kind of, I was always thinking, I'm going to get back to playing. I'm going to get back to playing. But it never happened. Never happened. Yeah, That's life, why I called you. Your calling, uh, your calling when it comes, it comes. So God, God was guiding me into uh, different things. Yeah. So you coached, you, you came back after in well no you injured yourself here yeah, when you yeah. came back and then started coaching from there yep. and like you said two two years turned into 10 years in the blink of an eye yeah, exactly and i was coaching in a youth club called gsa which is still a Gwinnett soccer association i coached there basically sim- a similar time that i coached at gpc i coached at gsa i coached there for 10 years as well i helped build the club uh, tremendously uh you know we won a lot of titles at uh, gsa of course and we built a massive club and, um, you know, I worked there for a long time. And then something happened in 2012, I believe in 2012, that uh, kind of made me change my mind about a lot of things and took a path to building the club that it is today. You know, so my wife passed away in 2012, oh, as most people know. So I got a phone call. My wife was in Romania. She went to visit her, her mom. She ended up passing away in Romania. With uh, My born child was born in Romania, the second child. He was born in Romania. I didn't get to see him because I was busy here coaching and when I, you know, just before the time that I go visit them, uh, she passed away. So I had to go pick up my child uh, in Romania. My oldest child was here with me. So when I went there and I came back, that was my last year coaching for Georgia Perimeter College because Georgia State merged with uh, Georgia Perimeter College. Mm-hmm. And then also it was my last year coaching at GSA, which I didn't anticipate, but it happened. So everything happened almost at the same time. And then when Georgia State uh, took over, you know, we lost our job at GPC, which was... Uh, I started to feel more it was a calling that I had to do something. And then, uh, of course, at GSA, when the philosophy, I felt that the philosophy that we were doing at GSA started changing, and I wanted to help more kids, and I wasn't able to do that at GSA, I, I moved on. Yeah. And then, then I had the decision to make either to go work for another cl- youth club or to build a club. And that's at the point where I, I, I felt in my heart that I had to do something new. So that's that's the birth of KSA. In 2014, wow. a KSA was built. And it was built, again, by inspiration. It wasn't just something that I woke up and I said, I'm going to build KSA. I always believed that God had a path for you. Yeah. So I prayed about it. A lot of things happened that led me to building it. And in, in my prayer, and then I asked always, I asked God that, hey, I, I need to see a sign. If yeah. this is what you want me to do, and, and this is a mission, I need to see a sign. And of course, the next day in the morning, someone that I haven't spoken in a long time end up calling me. And it's someone that I can't expect that will call me. And I didn't pick up my phone for yeah. that reason because I wanted to see if it was real. So, but then he called, and then I call him back. I say, Why did you call me? And then he told me that, Oh, I hear some things. And I want to tell you that there is uh, this field where you can go and you can start this. So he was giving me the answer to what I was looking for. Yeah. So he opened up the door to basically give the birth to KSA. Someone that you hadn't spoken to in a long, long time. time. And he called me randomly and I, I just just didn't even pick up my phone. I just had to wait and I tell him, 
So then I hear him and I say, this is why he called me. Yeah. And that was the answer you, for God. And he, he gave me the answer. His, so yeah. he opened up the route. He gave me the connection to open up KSA. People underestimate asking God for a sign. Because I, I do that a lot too. If you ask for a sign, you're you're going to get a sign. And it, it's it's very it's very powerful. Stuff, stuff like that happens where you're thinking about starting something. You're thinking about the stuff that you need. And you're like, give me a sign if this is what you want me to do. And then you got <laughs> the big sign that that, that was it. Okay, so now we're at the point of KSA, which is I, I feel like you've you've accomplished a lot in your in your life and on the field, off the field, and I feel like this is one of the things that you're probably the most proud about is is what you've built with KSA. And even this is I, I said in the beginning that this is just the beginning. I feel like you haven't reached anywhere near what the vision that you drew up in your head. But so you started KSA in 2014. What what did that look? What did the beginning of KSA look very, like? Very very difficult. Very difficult, and start understanding the politics of football, of soccer more and more at that point. Because if you remember, I mean, people who remember, uh, I was nominated one of the best coach in Georgia. Okay. Right. Uh, it was like in March, and when I made the decision to leave GSA, I was one of the worst. Mm. Right. So people start casting stone at me because I left the company that I worked with for a long time. Uh, to build something new, right? So, I mean, it was crazy. So from the county uh, to the lack of fields to people trying to prevent me from starting the club, from people uh, uh, showing up at Georgia Soccer and uh, basically preventing us from giving birth to KSA, it was all kind of nonsense. So that was from day one? From day one. From before day one, it already started. I thought that was like once y'all started playing and winning, then they started hating on you. They no, were no, no, you no, no. From, from, day, from day one, when I left GSA, it, it was supposedly... It was like a threat, I, I guess, that people felt that, you know, we can't let him do that, right? Yeah. So, well, you know, we're in a free country here where someone can leave their job and create their own job and do whatever they want. So I didn't understand that part. And plus, I was very loyal to the club at GSA. That When I left, I think I left with every... Uh, I, I left very clean. In fact, they still didn't pay me my three paycheck. Mm. And I'm still waiting for today, <laughs> you know. But uh, you know what? And they tried to make me sign a non-compete uh, form after the fact that I already was employed with them, which I did not sign, and all kind of craziness. Yeah. But you know what, man? When God has a will and he has a purpose for you, no, nobody can close those doors. So no matter what they did, till today, uh, KSS continued to achieve the things that we're achieving. Why, why do you think... Do you think they were fearful of, because they knew the caliber of coach that you were, Absolutely. and they know the caliber of person that you were, do you think they were just afraid that, like... Absolutely. You're going to become what you are today. Uh, it, it was a fear. It's a fear that they lose players. You know, the all, always the fear here in the clubs is that they lose players. I mean, again, it comes back to monetary money. You know, when you lose players, you lose money perhaps or this and that. It's always financial, you know, and, and this is what will drive people to do what they did, uh, you know, against me. But again, I look at it only uh, as positive because I like to look at things that happened, the hardship that happened in my life as a positive thing, right? So I believe it was positive. So everything that they did drove me to be to do what I did right now at KSN. Every step and every every stone that's been thrown till today, I think uh, it just uh, it's just great because it makes me the person that I am, and then it also uh, makes the club what it needs to become. You know, so we continue to work hard, we continue to achieve more and more and more uh, due to all those things. You know, so all the challenges. Okay, so you you spoke about um, the culture and things changing a little bit at GSA. 
So that, and I, I know that this is bigger than soccer as well. So like you didn't just want to put together a team and train some kids to get them to go and play well against some other kids. So like, what, what's the, what's the, what are the pillars? What's the foundation? What's the backbone of, of so my, my thing also built? was that, you know, I wanted to help a lot of people that couldn't afford soccer, you know, okay. a lot of underprivileged kids, because we wanted GSA a lot with those kids. So I found kids on the street that was very talented and incorporate them on the team pay for them at times because the GSA, they had a strict, uh, you know, system where, you know, hey, we, you had to fundraise to pay for your players, your team. So it's not like we we're given free players, perhaps. So we we're fundraising to pay for those players. So I created a good system where we incorporate a lot of those uh, underprivileged kids and then they help the club elevate. Mm -hmm. So in my thought, if these kids are helping the club elevate, then we need to help more kids, right? And it wasn't the case at GSA. It was more about the growth of the club and making more money and merging and stuff like that. So I started to feel that, you know, what I had, the desires of how we built up the, uh, the team was not the same anymore. So the foundation of KSA uh, was about helping kids, you know. It's about diversity. It's about uh, educating kids. It's about caring for individual development, not just uh, the pursuit of financial and making a lot of money. Yeah, I know we have to survive. We have challenges and stuff. But you know what, man? If there's a will, there's a way that you can make it work. Because at the end of the day, I also have kids. And I want my kids to go into a good system that I've been teaching. And I want the kids of my kids and many other kids to go through, uh, through those things. And if, if, if the challenge is, if, if it's money that is stopping talented players from excelling, then it's a problem in this country. You know? yeah. so, and, and then I start helping kids. And, and that costs me a lot. And I can tell you, it costs me a lot. Uh, um, you know, but again, this is what I'm, I'm going to do. Yeah. This is what I'm doing, and, and uh, I'm not going to stop. Where does, that, where does that passion come from? Like I, 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 we talked about your story and, and all this, and I, I see it, but like where I want to hear from you, where does this passion, you, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the camera and show these trophies later. And I'm going to also, what's more impressive than these trophies is the shoes at the door. Because when I walked up, <laughs> I was like, there, there's a party going on, <laughs> you know? And it's like, nah, this is where, this is like, Yep. This is headquarters, you know. Yep. This is where everyone can feel like home yep. because Absolutely. maybe your home situation isn't that yep. great. They but come I, here. I, I exactly. got a safe haven for exactly. you. you know? Exactly. 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 So, so where does that come from exactly for you? Exactly what you say. You know, well, my, my 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 father could tell you guys even better. Is like I grew up like that. I grew up with a lot of kids coming to our home when I was young, and everybody's my friend. And you know, it's just helping kids and helping helping friends. As I grew up, you know, I I could never say no when. My friends had challenges at home. They came to stay with my parents. So I, I had that foundation of wanting to help people. But the passion of soccer, the way it grew, I can tell you that I, I felt like it became a mission that God had for me because truly I've asked God through all the circumstances that happened in my life. Before my wife passed away, she was telling me people love you for what you do, even though it's difficult not to have you home all the time. But you got to continue to do what you do, right? So those little words and, 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 and many things that happened in my life it led me to believe that Perhaps God has a, has a purpose for doing what I do. And then, you know, when I put my, my knees on the ground and I'm praying to God and we go on out there, the, the slightest games that you're supposed to lose by your winning and the accomplishment that you're making uh, uh, day in and out and, and the things that people call impossible that are coming possible, and it's just show me that this is what God wants me to do. And so you can imagine if you have a mission 
of what you believe that it's a purpose, right? It's, it's, it's a given. It's what God wants you to do. It's very difficult for human beings to stop it. Yeah. Right? That's why people can't convince me, oh, Bruno, if you went to a, 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 another location in another facility, you could make more money, you could do... I look at these people like, listen, you, you, you're like, I can't hear you. Yeah. I can't, like, you can't convince me. You think you can convince me? Yeah. You can't convince me because I have to do what I need to do. Yeah. You know, so I'm here in this community because I need to help these kids. Right, because because I need to do that because I need to get them out of their situation to put them into better situation. They need that. They need that most and more, more than all the other. Some people are doing soccer just you know you know the parents pay for everything. They're doing it just for the sake of doing it. But what I've learned is that within that culture of having those kids that don't have enough and those kids that have enough, those kids that have enough, they learn something very positive about it. It grows them as human being, as individual that learn so much more. Yeah, you know, in that culture, that's why it's so important. Listen, those two trophies that you see, that blue one, those mm -hmm. two trophies, yeah. you know, it's an inspiration. And I can tell you, nobody's going to talk about this story, but people who dealt with me, they know the story. Those two teams that won these two trophies at the same time, okay. something that I predicted months before. And again, I believe in writing things on the wall, praying about it. So we wrote this on the wall that we're going to win the trophy. And I explained the player how we're going to win them. I told them we're going to win this trophy at the same time. <laughs> And then they were like, what? What are you talking about, coach? I said, we're going to start by writing everything. How are we going to work about it? How are we going to go about it? Those are the 97 and the 98, two of my teams when I was at GSA. So we discuss every step, how we're going to get to that. And you know what, man? The circumstances in life brought it exactly like that. So I was called when we made it to the final. My director was called and he was told that, Bruno, your two games, your game's going to be played at the same time. We need to change one of the game. So what do you think? And my director called me and I said, do not change it. Ah, yeah. That's they the way it's supposed to. Time. He didn't know that. I said, that's the way it's meant to be. Wow. Trust me. He said, so how are we going to coach? I said, you're going to be on one side. I'm going to be on one side. And that's how we're going to start. So I planned everything. I pray. I pray about my speech that I will give after we win the trophy. Two State Cup Championship. So when I walked on that field, when I walked on that field, we started with our plan, how we were going to attack, how we were going to do things. We scored one goal. We won that game. As that game was finishing, this game nearly was at the end. I turned around. I was coaching basically. I was on one side. And it was coached in the middle. And we were coach, I was coaching two games at the same time. So I'll turn around here to help my boss. And then I'll turn. And my boss left. As soon it was too much pressure. So my boss left. And I stepped in. And we scored a goal and won the other game as well. Two trophies at the same time. That's what That's a round of applause. We're going for that one just because I, I love I love stories like that. And for you to have like the 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 vision, that's the word I think of the vision. And I, I am a firm believer of writing stuff on the wall and vision board. I, that's that's me, you know, because so for you to say this is the goal, this is the objective. Let's reverse engineer from this point and figure out what it is we need to do to achieve this. Your kids are probably thinking like, oh, man, Coach Coach Bruno is crazy. What is he talking about? But then eventually they, they start to buy into it and they start believing it. But then they start believing in themselves, too. Absolutely, man. And for you to show them that that's the way God works, that's the way the universe works, Absolutely. that's the way the world works, that's the way the earth, that's the way it works. That's That's such a valuable lesson for them to have for the rest of their lives, you know. That's... That's amazing. Absolutely. And you know what, man? The crazy thing is we walk in that, that field. The first game, we play like crap. We tie the first game. Of course, Georgia soccer is big in that. In the forum, everybody was talking about it. Oh, look, 
GSA or they have a team that you know Bruno again his team is 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 he has all the better players they don't know what to do and I walk in that room uh with my kids because we always meet in the hotel room you know when we travel we go to state cup we in the hotel room so we meeting and I walk I walk in the room and I I looked at my leaders and my team my captain I said listen you know what man you did play like crap but I'll tell you one thing it's not in your control anymore I said what's meant to be is already done. So I don't care if you walk on that field and you play as bad as you keep playing. You know what, man? You will see what happened. I say, Kofi, you think you control this now? Danny, you think it's out of your control? And then I was so mad, and but they knew it. They felt it. And I said, but you know what? At the end, it's not in your control because it's already done. So you just go out there and you, pl- you, you walk around like puppets, like cones, and you'll see things will be done. So sure enough, the next game we won, the next game we won, we won the same as we won, all the way to the final and we won the final of course so it's it's kids cannot ref- they cannot forget that yeah so they know that when we put enough work and, and then when we have the same we sink in all the players sink in and we put enough work and we we dream and we 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 we, we, we wrote it on the wall and, and we planned it and so we called the universe to bring us the circumstances that we wanted so things can happen the same so a lot of my players that are playing professionally currently like Joe Eiffert who's in uh, Belgium actually he's playing top division in Belgium first division Kofi Tomasi who's in Germany all those guys they lived in that process in that system where I told them when you're 16 year old you'll be better than all the college players you'll get a full ride people are telling us only 1% of people get full ride yes We are the one percent. Yeah. I told them, yeah. yes, this whole good. Group is the 1%. So that's the one percent. If you're gonna be the one percent, we are the one percent that they talk about. So don't listen to that because you you can. And yeah. of course, all of those guys had full ride offers everywhere, and they declined because they went professionally. Yeah, you know that's one thing that with with sports in America, and that's like. You, you know, when you become an adult, you have to unlearn things, you know. So, like, when I was playing basketball as a kid, everybody will tell you, oh, you know, the NBA draft, there's only 30-something spots. That's the .0005% yeah. to make it to the NBA. So then you start thinking, like, it's a lottery. Oh, I might not be lucky enough to be the .000%. Yeah. But you have to re- – I learned as an adult, it's not a lottery – It's the people that put in the work. It's that the point oh 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 whatever percent of the people that worked hard enough to get there. Those are the ones that get it. It wasn't just by luck of the draw. Absolutely. Yes, there are lucky circumstances, stuff like that. But you create your own luck by working hard and doing the extra and practice in the morning and practice in the evening. That's that's how you create the luck, you know. Absolutely. So I remember I, on Twitter the other day I saw a picture of like it was a group like AAU basketball, the youth basketball kids, and it was like a picture and of just one team, a little team picture. And every single one of those kids is in the NBA, all 12 of them on Absolutely. the same team. Trey, Trey, uh, Trey young was one of them. It was like his AAU team. Yeah. It's like, how can you have 12 kids from one youth team? And the youth organization has millions, millions. of kids yeah. in it. And all 12 of them are in the NBA. That seems to me what, what you're doing, you know, at, at KSA is by having the right mindset for these kids is like, listen, you, you can do it. And it's up to you if you don't do it. Absolutely. It's, it's all on you. Absolutely. So, and then I tell the kids my story. I have a big, rich background of, uh, you know, of a story of coming from war and stuff like that. So I, I tell the kids that there's no excuse. Don't make excuse. Don't make excuse because of your parents' circumstances. Don't make excuse because of your circumstance. Work for it. And yeah. You will achieve it. Because a lot of us, a lot of our kids, they want to make excuses. You know, oh, this is not the same. It's not. No, don't make excuses. Yeah. Just approach it differently. 
you know, and we're trying to build the kid's character, a strong mind, and, you know, and uh, discipline, all these things to be able to achieve what they're, they're achieving. So sometimes it's just a tweak of that. I told them soccer is the least of the thing that I want to teach them, but there's more, yeah. you know, more of the things that I'm looking to teach them that uh, can set them up. So when you started KSA, you guys started with one team? Oh, it went off. Yeah. Okay, so um, you say KSA, you got started with how many teams? Yeah, so at the beginning of KSA, believe it or not, uh, you know, I think, uh, like I told you, you know, sometimes when people are throwing stone at you, is sometimes is a good thing, and I think they did publicity for us when they oh. were talking so bad about me on the forum and stuff like that. Because amazingly, we had over a thousand people try out. Wait, wait. So wait, the wait, line. Wait, wait, wait. So you haven't had a, a season club. yet. Yes. You had, this is your first, first year season. of like, all right, let me yes. get some kids together. Yes, we had a thousand people on the line, and the line was so long that you couldn't, we couldn't sustain it. I mean, it was so long. But what I've decided it was that I want to build a special club. I just don't want to put uh, kids out there because people will tell me, hey, you know, if you're talking about making money, take all the kids. And make money. I mean, you're talking about a thousand kids. You're talking about a thousand a kid. You can do the math yourself. Yeah. So, and I was like, no, nah, we're not going to start the club like that. We're going to start the club, you know, as small as we can start it with, you know, with the coaches that we have. You know, some individual, when I left GSA, they were like, you know what, man, coach, we're all with you. You know, so there's, there's other coaches that came in, uh, very good coaches, good people that I knew for a long time that I played soccer with. And then, um, you know, we started the club. We started with two teams per age group, you know, so it was like basically... U13, uh, two team, U14, two team, U15. Some teams didn't quite have two teams, but we started with a lot of teams right away. Yeah, and then we a had lot. a decent academy of maybe uh, 30, 40 players already uh, started it. And then so we started the process. And you know what, man? Through that process, everybody was like, you know what, man? They're not going to survive. They're not. But I had enough people that were willing to help KSA to grow. So immediately I had a, a, a parents that I coach this kid who stepped up big time and said, Bruno, don't worry about uniform. We got to cover. So he wrote a check directly to Nike to send us uniform for the entire club, mm. the gears. He knew this, the system of what I was looking for, for everybody to look at the same. So it was already there. So people supported the club enough because they knew how good it was for uh, what, what, what I was doing. So we went on, and then I start with a different mentality and different approach. I'm like, okay. So And then immediately you can see the politics in Georgia soccer that dropped all of our team from, uh, you know, because usually the rule was that if the players move from one club to another – they keep their accolades. And I was like, look, this is not about me. If those players, people have choices. If they want to leave, they follow. So, but if they leave, you have to give them the same standards that they had. They had, they were their, their national league and they took them from national league. They dropped to classic one. I didn't mind. I say, okay, guys, I told the parents, we're going to start back at classic one. It's not a problem. Well, you know what happened that year? We won all the classic one championship. Mm -hmm. Then we won to state cup. We beat everybody at state cup, all the best club. We beat them. For sure, we went to regional with four teams and then so on. So the next year, we're back to National League and we got all the accolades. So it's like, you know, you can't stop it when it comes to the field. So And then with patience, I believe that we're going to get there regardless. So we worked really hard. We trained really hard. And it was two years of 
the line being long all the time, but we kept a standard of like 350 to 400 players, you know, and, 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 and so on. And then eventually the third year it started, you know, then you learn, you know, in that business structure, there's a lot of challenges, you know, the jealousy of individuals that you work with and, you know, things start going in and out just, you know, it's it then then it taught me the structure of the business. You know, I learned a lot. So I, I can say all the things that happened within, I learned a lot. And then we also had a big invasion of a bunch of refugees that came in. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, it pushed a lot of prominent players that pays mm-hmm. out because I think a lot of the parents don't want to associate themselves with the type of kids that we have. So when they come to our club, even though they know the style of coaching, but when they see the type of kids that we have, it kind of withdraw them from coming. So the individuals that come in, different colors or different culture that comes in, they have to really be passionate and look above and beyond color, yeah. right? So then they come in and then, you know, but again, slowly, slowly, we had more refugee kids, we had more scholarship kids than we had uh, paying kids, yeah. which was fine for me. We continue to work, we continue to progress and then continue to keep that balance. And so we continue to do what we're doing. Yeah. So today, you know, before the pandemic, we had a 350 kids. Today we stand at almost 250. So it went down for everyone during the pandemic, but we continue to restructure and continue to grow. Yeah. I created that program, the Pro Profile, which was a program for uh, all the players that went to college and graduated and didn't know what to do mm-hmm. after college because kids, they're kids still. They graduated from college and they still don't know what to do they, until they figure out I had a place where I could stage them. Kids that graduated from high school that didn't go to college, I had a place to stage them, what I call the Pro Profile, a place where you can have the same discipline, the structure of a team while you play amateur league games, but you train four or five days a week. And then you get an opportunity to get uh, trials in, in college or a professional. Yeah. So we've been able to send a lot of players through that program as well. So, you know, it's we continue to do what we're doing. So what made you, so you didn't start initially with, with Pro Profile? Yeah, not, not initially with Pro Profile. So Pro Profile was a birth a year later after I started KSA. I said, well, it would be good to build a program that is a professional. So you see Pro Profile, but also Pro Profile name was a name of, uh, I met an agent in Germany, was a, an agent of, uh, you know, by circumstances that I believe is just the calling. Yeah. Again, it was a, it was a guy that I met through a third party. He's the agent of uh, Manuel Nueris. You know, okay, yeah. so a guy like that, you just don't meet every day. No. And then he ended up visiting us. He ended up meeting my family. He ended up loving what we're doing. And I keep bringing him every year. Wow. And then through that connection, the company name in Germany uh, is agency. The company name is Pro Profile. So without the E. Mm-hmm. So that's why I call this the Pro Profile because I thought it's like, well, Pro Profile. So we're going to be working fr- in, you know, in collaboration with Pro Profile. So I'm going to call the program Pro Profile. Okay. So because... You know, it's then then there's a pro profile that's stuck in, you know. So is that that's the path directly that has gotten kids yeah, to so play professionally? Yes, exactly. So it's through his connection, you know, we're getting players in Germany, we're getting players, you know, of course, if they don't succeed in it, with the system and the process that we're doing, when the college coaches look at our player, they're like, Man, these guys are amazing. You yeah. know, so they can fit in, they can come in directly and now the USL, you know, of course Atlanta United and everywhere else, when they look at our program and they look at our player, they know that they're ready for the next step. Who's the first kid that got to play professionally from from KSA? Uh, the first kid that got to play professionally from KSA was uh, uh, Buffer. Actually, is the coach and Buff. I can't say is the first kid that got to play from KSA, but I can say is the first project I've I've had 
to play the next level because mm-hmm. I started this project even before GSA. Before, so there's Coach yeah. Buff who I worked individually on the side with him, an 18-year-old who didn't know what to do. Coach, I can't really do high. I, I can't go to college. I graduated from high school. My level of education is not going to allow me to really do college. It's not real. I need to do something. So we focus on working as a professional. I put him on the same path that I had in Romania. One day he played second division, came back here, played the silverback. He won the NSL, NASL Cup with the silverback as a captain, yeah. you know, one of the best football players. So, and then he went to train, they play, and then he retired his career by coaching now with us. Yeah. Right, Coach Buff. So, but he was the first project, he was the first guy that I actually, with, through hard work, I realized that we can place players as a professional. And now after that was, of course, Kofi uh, Tomasi, who, uh, uh, you know, uh, from uh, Ghana, yeah. a name player who plays now in, uh, and his brother also, Quado, who also plays in Germany. Then I had Joe Efer. A trial with him, Joe Efer is playing now in Belgium, uh, first division, and you know, so on. And then one of our best youth players as of late, who was one of the best in the country in the 2001, helped us win the national championship, Dietz and Vixamar, uh, who's playing now uh, at Obro. He played in the first division uh, at Obro uh, with, a, with a, a very large contract mm. coming from the youth here. A player, basically, a lost player from the street, come here uh, from uh, Haiti, uh, who obtained a contract in Europe. He's now traveling. Now he plays on the national team at 80 yeah. as, an, as a 19-year-old uh, kid, you know, so 20-year-old now. So See, so you you spoke earlier when you were telling the story about the, the two cups and you guys drew one game and they were talking crap about you about, oh, you've got the best players, but y'all are underperforming. How can you make a comment about having the best players when you have all the players that nobody wanted or that maybe they did want, but they wouldn't let them in because of of the paywall. So, is that something? How do you how do you feel about you know you've got you've got kids from Haiti, you've got kids from Ghana, you've got kids from from everywhere. You know, you're a very international organization. Yes. Is that something that you pride yourself on? Is that something you like you you were seeking to do, or is it was it just by the it, circumstances? It, it, it's something that happened by circumstances. So when I pick kids, I don't pick them from where they come from. It's just uh, I have some rules, and they all know it. So a lot of the kids run away from my program because of the rules. There's commitment, right? There's discipline. There's commitment. Mm-hmm. There's respect. There's some things that we don't you you don't budge in. So you show up. You have to have commitment. First thing is commitment. Can you show up every day? And once they do. You see that even weaker players develop a talent eventually when they commit to the training. Yeah. When they show up, they build the character, they build the understanding, the mental. So the 2001-1 national, in fact, when I build that 2001, because people can talk about, oh, well, s- these players came from GSA as, of in, as, as if I didn't develop them when I was a GSA. Yeah. So they don't call them the birth of KSA. But the birth of KSA was the 01 because there's a team with eight players only and we used the youth, younger guys, U12, to play on the U13. They took us, they put us a classic three. And Georgia Soccer told us that uh, the only way you can go to classic one is if we beat, beat, beat everybody by 10 goals. Sure enough, <laughs> we say, okay. So Georgia Soccer had a complaint because people were calling them saying that Bruno's killing everybody. So we beat everybody by 10 goals, but that was with only eight players that we start building the team. New, fresh team. We build the team from scratch. We start beating everybody at classic three. They move us to classic one. Well, in that same year, in classic one, we went to state cup with players that play supposedly at a higher level than us in RPL National League. We end up winning state cup that year, so we advanced to regional. So that team from then on went to win, 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 created an M for themselves and won national. Yeah. And you know we didn't just win national; we beat the crap out of the team seven zero national. Yeah. So we won seven zero in the national final. It was it became so boring 
that's you know of course because it's us winning they didn't give us the accolade but 7-0 at the national final it's i think i think it's not happened in a long time no right so yet and but yet the way we play we possess we kept the ball i mean it was fantastic football and then sure enough one players was called up by Atlanta United Junior Saint-Just uh, Carl Henry is in uh, uh, Germany right now Deaton uh, has got a contract in uh, a big contract one of the biggest youth contract in uh, uh, in Denmark and he was also offered a contract by Atlanta United which he declined you know so you know it's 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 a process but again like you say we get that team had the weakest players that's why they put us at a weaker standard but again when we continue to develop the players then people say that you have the best players of course yeah. yes why what what what's your you can't show your whole hand here but what's what's some of your visions and your goals for the future of KSA well if you go in the if you go in the room where i talk to my player all the time they'll tell you all my players if you ask them what's bruno's goal they'll tell you is to put one player at chelsea okay. one player from the street at chelsea okay. they'll tell you right away they know that i spoke about it for 15 years So they know that's the goal why, that we why, have. Why is that? It's just one thing that I like to do. Okay. I say that from the beginning, 15 years ago, I say, we're going to put one player at Chelsea. It's not like I like Chelsea, yeah. but it's one thing that got stuck in, right? We're going to put a player at Chelsea for these players to understand where I was going with this vision. So one player is going to get to Chelsea, and we're surely pretty getting close to it every time because now we have players that are playing first division. Mamadou is in first division in Bosnia. Uh, Dietz in first division uh, in in uh, in uh, Denmark. And then Kofi played in first division in Romania. So we start getting players in the first division slowly but surely. So we're going to get there. We're going to get that player at Chelsea one day. And then from that player at Chelsea, we're going to have everything that we need to build a, a structure here mm -hmm. to start developing players the way we want to develop. Remember, we have nothing. We have fields that are ground. They give us the worst condition, but yet we're still accomplishing the things that we accomplished. Yeah. And no joke, when those USL, those college coaches get our player, they say they're ready, ready, ready. Yeah. They're above and beyond the level. So I know where we can go when we have the structure that we need and then uh, when we have the funding that we need. So we're going to get there one day. And then they also know the second goal is to get 11 players from this structure into the national team. Okay. Because that close and ties. And people are like, coach, come on, man. Actually, Deaton told me that one day. He said, coach, you know, I start thinking about what you say you might be able to get 11 players on the national team, but not in the U.S. national team. That would be difficult. I say, well, Ditson, until I die, I will say that to you. It will be difficult, but it's possible. It's possible. I'm not going to say to you, because he start thinking, well, he's going to play on the national team, which he is now on the national team, and there'll be a few more. He's like, yeah, 11 players on different national team, but in the U.S., I say, Ditson, that's what I dream of. That's a good goal because you you gotta you gotta set set the goals high and that is you a big to. goal. But you have to. one thing you'll learn as you go through life is nothing is impossible. It's not, man. People, the, whoever the Wright brothers were in, inventing planes, you know, a machine to fly in the sky. People were looking, what are these two brothers doing? Hey. They're insane. You can't you can't put something that heavy in the sky. And now we're in we're in planes all the time. We don't think twice about it. You know, exactly. exactly. It's, it's crazy until somebody does it. And I speak of it very highly and very strongly because I want people to hear me out. That's when it when we accomplish it, the kids know. And it's not about a pride or it's not about this. But for me, it's so that the youth people can learn that you're really capable of doing what you dream of if you put your mind into it and if you follow certain right path. And I told the players all the time, accomplishing that great success that you want in life, you need some good karma to come back for you. So again, so we go to the basics. What are the things that you're supposed to do to accomplish these things? Be good, be kind, 
okay? Be respectful to people, right? Help as many people as you can because all these things, when you're trying out and we're trying to achieve great things, they come back to help you, yep. right? So those are the values that I want these kids to learn all the time. So you know what, man? Extend your hand to do for other people as well while you're looking to accomplish because you're asking for something that people say it's impossible. But how do you get to get that good karma? How does God give you that thing when you're not able to give it to others? The littlest things that they're asking. If you can't share, if you can, if you're greedy, if you so eliminate those things and, and look to start doing more good things so that you can get good things to happen for you. Yep. Yeah. All right. So I got two more. I got two final questions for you. Yes. Um, this one we spoke about briefly before the cameras were rolling, but I got to ask you on camera. Uh, the the USA just failed to qualify for another Olympic Games. Um, not not that surprising. What do you think? In what in your opinion do you think it would take for the U.S. to reach the goals that they say they have to be a a, a big player in the world of of soccer? You know what, man. The bigger thing in the U.S. is their system uh, is a flaw. Right, the system of identifying players is a flaw because I've learned about the German system. There's no kid on the street that nobody knows about that is talented. Mm. In the U.S., there's too many players on the streets that are extremely talented that nobody knows about. And I can tell you, it's no joke. I can build a team right now to beat any youth professional team here in the U.S. in the MLS, and I challenge it. Give me the condition. Let me pick all the players. Give me everything I need. Give me time, and you'll see. I will pick a team, any youth team from age uh, nine all the way to age uh, 18 and will beat. And in fact, I can tell you, I challenge all the USL team that there is here. We can put up a team from the street here to beat the USL team. That's how much talent we have in the US. So the flaw is in the system. The system of identifying players is a flaw, right? And then a lot of players are being lost because they can afford to play soccer. Mm. They can afford to pay to play soccer. They can't. So, and that's a big problem. When you have talented players on the street that can make a massive difference on our national team and they're not identified, that is a problem. And they can only be identified when they play ECNL, when they play DEA, when they play these things that even clubs like ours that have won everything can achieve to, to, to get into, right? So that politics of, of only isolated things, the way they're doing it right now, is not going to, it's not going to get, because then if you didn't play for a DA club, if you didn't play for an ECNL club, and you couldn't be identified, and you know, and that's a problem. And, and they're not identifying the players well enough anyway. So the competition is at flaw right now. I mean, you don't even know who, there's no, there's no again, there's no promotion or relegation, even the youth anymore. Yeah. So the only way you get into the ECNL is who you know and what connection you have, and that's how you get in. The only way you get in the DA, the only way you get in the MLS next right now that they have for the youth is only by application, and they pick whoever they want to pick. I mean, all these things is not helping the competition because no. who's the best team right now? We play Atlanta United with our 2001. Against their 2001, we beat them, right? So who, who's the best? So put everyone in one competition and decide who's the best through competition. Right. Stop having the fear of losing player and losing money. And, and, and that's what's stopping us to advance in the country. And yeah. this is what's happening. People trying to protect the kids, protect the business and protect all this stuff. And then we're losing at the higher level. So 
U.S. soccer have to come down on the club to have a standard that we all follow and a, a standard of identification of player that is great so that we can push all the best player in one location. Hmm. And this is what has to happen. It's too simple. That Everybody's is. doing it everywhere. Yeah. And you'll see how U.S. will rise with amazing talent. Amazing. Around me here in Atlanta, it's crazy, man. Yeah. There's so many talented players. There's so many. Yeah. Okay. And then my, my final question is um, Africa. A little more complex because it's a continent, not a country. We got 54 different governing bodies to deal with. But what do you think it will take for the talent that's in Africa to be recognized and known on a world stage, whether it be, uh, you know, a country making it deep into the World Cup, winning a World Cup, or African club teams that are, you know, people want to pay to see them the same way they want to see Real Madrid and Barcelona. What do you, what do you think it would You know what, man? Let me tell you something, man. It's so sad that we're not there. Yeah. It's so sad that we're not there because if you see the players that were developing, uh, the Etos, the, the Nemet, Nemet that are playing in Europe, Nemet, right? If you see the players that were developing and you think that there's no country there that is going out there and winning the World Cup and doing this thing, you got to ask yourself. But I think, I, I, and I think, again, it's very simple. It's just that type of organization and that, that uh, recognition of who we are and what we need to do to just be able to do it so that we can get there. Because the pool of talent that there is there with a bit of organization and when people are sincere with themselves, really trying to accomplish something, it will happen so easy. Yeah. It will happen so easy because Definitely. I can tell you it's impossible, the talent that there is there. Yeah. It's impossible. Talent I mean, in fact, you start looking at teams even in Germany. I mean, <laughs> look at in France. I mean, look, look everywhere yeah. what's happening. I mean, look, look who's playing there. Yeah. Look how many African players are infiltrating, incorporating. I mean, you, you, you name it. You name it. There's too many. And, and you're talking about best football players in the world. You know what, man? We can accomplish that in Africa. I mean, that's it's sad. It's sad. I mean, it's it's no different than uh, uh, Congo having some of the, the richest soil in terms of even uh, 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 you know gold and diamonds and the things that we have. Yet we can't get it together. I mean, just Zaire itself, can, Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo itself can fit the entire continent with the resources that they have, the yeah. wealth on the resources that we have. You're talking about um, uranium was extracted from the Congo. You're talking about gold. You're talking about diamond. You're talking about the wealth that we have uh, in Zaire can feed the entire continent. Yeah. Just Zaire. And you're talking about all the other uh, uh, countries in, in Africa. I mean, we have a wealth of wealth and also uh, of talent. Yeah. You know, so, but if we, if we really get together and uh, we start understanding and getting educated in what we need to do, I think... You know, I, I think, number one, we can create better competition uh, that is more visible and it's going to make noise like in Europe and like in uh, in Spain. And we can create our own competition that is very, very high. And then we can create some things that will uh, definitely, definitely uh, put a country there to win the World Cup. Yeah. For sure. 
Man, those are my you 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 talked about your lofty outlandish dreams that people <laughs> laugh at you and say, "Oh, you know, th- those are those are my dreams and my goals as well." My my goals sound sound crazy too, but I I've written them down, they're on the wall and and I'm trying to achieve them and I've reverse engineered them and gotten all the way to the bottom and said, "What's the low-hanging fruit that I can start now to be able to achieve that goal there?" And that's what this platform is, you know, like I don't know how it all connects, but you got to start somewhere. You got to do something, you know, so that's that's where this is. Absolutely. So. And it's people like you and I, you know, and uh, others that come behind us and that uh, will build will build that future, you know. So, yes, it seems to be large. It seems impossible, but I don't think it's impossible. Yes, African, uh, one of our African team can, uh, uh, can, can win the World Cup. It's very possible because, like I say, it's impossible with the talent that we have, actually, yeah. not to be able to achieve these things, you know. So, and I look at the African uh, Nation Cup and I, we, I, I look at those games and stuff. Boy, I mean, you can't even compare the number of talented players that are there. And, you know, some of the players that are just lost talents, they're not doing anything. And I look in our youth and I look in all the system. It's just that uh, we have to have some recognition. People like you and I, people that... Maybe sometime we're going to talk and people don't like the way we talk, but uh, hey, slowly but surely, educating everyone in the right path uh, is going to get us there. Yeah, you know? definitely. Well, I think that's it for this interview. This was, uh, I don't want to, no disrespect to my other guys out there, but this is one of my favorite interviews. I'm just like, <laughs> no. Thank you very much. I really appreciate um, that. Do you have anything you want to say? Anything you want to shout out? No, listen, I, I really appreciate uh, this. And again, like I, I, I said to you, uh, you know, it, it came out of nowhere, but it's important. And I knew that uh, some, some of those messages have to get out. You know, sometime, and I think what you're doing is extremely important because we have messages that we can't get out there. We don't know how to get out there. And we're just hiding it. And, if, of course, it's getting lost. And then uh, and people thinking whatever they think about what we're doing, they don't understand. And, and you know what, man? I start getting a lot of African-American uh, players coming to us, and they're like, wow, I didn't know that if I knew my son wouldn't be wasting time out of the world, the, the, the wealth of the culture mm-hmm. and, and the things that you guys are doing here, well, this is how we want to, you know, expand that message. I mean, I, I really thank you for what you're doing. I think what you're doing is extremely important. If you put enough people to speak about the same mindset, that have the same mindset and speak about these things, I think eventually it will it'll go out there. And that's how you start something, you yep, know. Yeah, so. one step at a time, man. You, but you got to get started somewhere. Yep. Uh, so that's you. it. Uh, Africa Abroad, that was another episode. Until next time, we out. Africa Abroad. Road boys. Yeah, I appreciate this. This is great. This is great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, thank you. It's great. Right. Uh, Africa Abroad. Uh, I have to come and use your water if you like. <laughs>